Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. about it's just music welcome to sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media i'm jim de the pop music critic at the chicago sun times and i'm greg cott i write about rock and roll for the chicago tribune today on the world's only rock and roll talk show jim and i welcome nico case who returns to the show to debut her new album middle cyclone Plus, we'll review the much-anticipated new album from YouTube. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. If this merger is allowed to proceed, the combined entity will have the ability to suppress or eliminate competition in many segments of the music industry, including rival concert promoters, primary and secondary ticketing companies, artist management firms. It is my belief... This merger is vertical integration on steroids. That was Jerry Michelson, a concert promoter in Chicago, talking at the congressional hearings this week on Capitol Hill involving one of the biggest news stories of the last half century, the merger between Live Nation and Ticketmaster, the largest concert promoter in America merging with the largest concert ticketing agency in America to create a $6 billion company called Live Nation Entertainment. We introduced this story last week, Greg, and it is no exaggeration what you just said. Biggest story of the decade. I have to say it's the biggest story I've ever covered as a music reporter. Absolutely, Jim. And the fact that Congress is now taking a close look at it for the first time The Congressional Committee, chaired by Herb Cole, the senator from Wisconsin, is going to take a look at this particular merger over the next week and then make a recommendation to the Justice Department about whether or not there should be an antitrust investigation into this merger. Basically, what you had was the two main principles of these companies, Michael Rapino, the head of Live Nation, and Irving Azoff, the head of Ticketmaster, trying to make the case as to why this would be a good idea and how consumers could actually benefit. They really both tried to say, we're just music guys, just (laughs) humble music guys. Azoff, in particular, was very funny, talking about how he grew up in downstate Illinois, traveled to Comiskey Park to see the Beatles, just a regular guy, right? Uh Mind you, in Fred Dannon's immortal book, Hitmen, The History of the Music Industry, this is a man universally reviled by everyone he's dealt with for 30 years, known as the Poison Dwarf. 
Here he is trying to justify the merger of these two monopolistic companies coming together to form the, forget an 800-pound gorilla, this is the 100,000-pound gorilla. <laughs> this is the first time in the history of the music business that it would give an artist control to get their goods bundled and sold directly to the fan. This business is not as healthy as you would think. You know, instead of sitting here talking about a merger, I might be at home thinking about how many people we have to fire and how many uh, accounts we have to cut. So what you heard there was uh, Irving Azoff, the head of Ticketmaster, basically saying, here's a new model. The, the music industry as we know it is broken. Not many people disagreeing with him on that point. Yes, the music industry as we know it is in trouble. It has lost one-third of its business in the last few years, mainly due to declining compact disc sales. And what they are proposing to do is create this new entity that would allow artists to benefit from a number of revenue streams. Their argument is that ticket prices might actually come down if they allow artists to create these new revenue streams. In other words, not only uh, concert ticket sales, but merchandise and website opportunities, music sales through digital and both physical product. They're going to create a one-stop shopping company for artists. And they actually had a few artists send letters to these senators, people like Shakira and Seal and Journey, saying, hey, this is a great idea. We love this. (laughs) The problem with this, Greg, is that there will be no room for competition. Amazing thing about this two-hour Senate hearing was that all of the senators, and I mean on the far right, Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, Republican, and on the far left, Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, they all agreed. They were all incredulous about the things that Azoff and Rapino of Live Nation and Ticketmaster were saying to them, and they were agreeing. It was a weird day to see senators talking to concert promoters like Jerry Michelson of Jam in Chicago and Seth Hurwitz, who is a guy who looks like a club rat for 30-some-odd years. He's been a co-owner of the legendary punk club, the 930 Club, right down the block from Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, they're agreeing with these guys, and they're talking about, you know, you guys are having a really hard time competing. Uh, It it was bizarre to see Orrin Hatch siding with a Chicago concert promoter. I I think Herb Cole, the, uh, the chairman of the committee, said it best, Jim. He brought it back down to the consumers. I mean, it's one thing to care about Seth Hurwitz and Jerry Michelson and their businesses and how they're going to be in trouble. But I think the essence of any antitrust proceeding is, if there is a business merger, is it going to benefit the consumers in any way? Herb Cole basically said, we understand you guys are going to make a lot of money doing this. You're going to be a bigger, more profitable company. But how is it going to benefit the consumers? Uh, So why should we say to you, we'll throw that out the window. We won't believe that competition is what brings out the best in in companies and serving their customers and we'll believe a whole new doctrine on your part, which is to say, let us merge, let us really be not only strong and dominant, but the overwhelming company in that industry, and believe that that is going to bring, once you have that dominance and that monopoly, that is going to bring the best service to consumers at the best prices. Mr. Rapino, you strain it. You strain our sense of common sense. So after two hours of these giant corporate executives getting beaten up by the senators and by the competitors on Capitol Hill. Cole ended the hearing saying that they will make a recommendation to the Justice Department, which has to approve this merger, and they will stay on top of this issue. Greg, I got a very different feeling than 15 years ago when the Justice Department spent a year investigating Ticketmaster only to decide it was not a monopoly. Right. I think that indications are that it may not go through this time. The tenor of that proceeding was not only skeptical, it was almost sarcastic. Yeah. It was like they were laughing at them saying, you really think we should take this seriously? Yeah, who are you kidding? Don't you feel like trying something? 
Greg, more evidence of change in the music world and how it does business. Manny's Musical Instruments, a landmark in Midtown Manhattan on 48th Street, is closing and going out of business. It was bought several years ago by one of its neighbors, the Sam Ash Music Store. Looks like they're threatened to. One of the top executives in Sam Ash uh, recently said, Music Row? 48th Street near 6th Avenue in Manhattan is is going away. These things happen. Things change. As a kid who grew up uh, across the river from Manhattan in, in Jersey City, I would take the path train across the river. I would I would get off at uh, 33rd Street. I'd walk up to 48th Street with some of my buddies, and we would just stand in front of the windows, <laughs> amazed, looking at, you know, someday I'm going to buy a <laughs> snare drum like that one. And you would turn around, and next to you would be Joe Jackson. You would see these most amazing musicians. Everybody would shop there and and it was just an incredible afternoon some of these stores would have concerts and and display the gear electro harmonics had a, had an electro harmonics uh, light show and concert a couple of times a day on the weekends it was the most amazing thing in the world it's been dwindling for years now there's only about a half a dozen stores and it looks as if soon there will be none because there's plans for a big parking garage Ugh. he takes his dinner in the bed Love sickened and informed The orderly found him there For laid on the marble stairs Hat still in hand is smoking Greg, there was an interesting article recently in Billboard about Nico Case, who is gearing up to release her new album, Middle Cyclone, about how she is straddling two devoted cult followings, one in the kind of Americana roots rock underground, the other in the indie rock pop world as a member of New Pornographers. She came by for the second time to visit Sound Opinions to talk about this Middle Cyclone album, along with uh, Paul Rigby on guitar and Kelly Hogan on backing vocals. It was a real pleasure to have her back here. We are here in the Jim and Kay Maybe studio with uh, Nico Case and Kelly Hogan and Paul Rigby. Welcome to Hello. the show. Hello. Thanks, fellas. New album coming out in March. I do. Middle Cyclone is the name of it. And uh, sixth album. Pretty really? uh, amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's what, I I, didn't that's even what know I'm that. told. Hey, yeah. Man. Well, I was going to say, when, when we, <laughs> Holy cow. When we met <laughs> you, uh, you had no albums out, and now it's, uh, now it's six. Is that a, a cause for disbelief in itself? Yeah, kind of. I'm, I'm actually kind of. I didn't even think about it that way um, until just now. I'm very confused. Wow, I'm old. <laughs> Starring me. You're turning into a heritage artist. That's what they call that. A barren, childless heritage artist. Here I am on your show. <laughs> I mean, the, the last record came out in 2006, your best selling album. In a lot of ways, your most acclaimed record, probably the one that got the most noticed. Is it a case of uh, it takes three more years to generate songs that you feel are up to par? I mean, could you put out records more frequently? What What is the reason that, you know, it takes... You take your time making records. I do, and then there's also the new pornographers. So yes. uh, we will make a record, and then we have to tour for that as well. So I think normally, if I didn't have the other band, I could put them out every two years. But I couldn't put them out more frequently than that, because that would just burn you out. Mm-hmm. It's It's kind of a, a difficult process. And there's a lot of uh, second guessing and self loathing and travel time and uh, eating that you have to do while you're making a record. So you mean and, to say, Nico, after six solo albums, it hasn't gotten easier? No, and and about I guess around the fourth album, I thought I knew something about making albums, and I was yeah. thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. 
Now I'm going to make a live record because that is just going to be easy. <laughs> All we got to yeah. do is show up and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it turned out to be the hardest record ever. And then, and then it's basically like your, uh, your senses become more attuned to certain frequencies and, you know, you learn engineering as you go. And so there's always a new problem waiting for you at the Super Mario Brothers style uh, level of recording that you go to. <laughs> They're throwing barrels at me on one record, and then I'm <laughs> jumping over some laser sword. I don't know. Well, it's you're, hard. You're pretty hands-on, though, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you co-produce all your records. You write, you write most of the music. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like you just sort of walk into the studio and show up, and there's the band, and they play the song. There's times where that happens. <laughs> no, this, this record, we actually rehearsed quite a bit. We locked ourselves in a, in a, in a house in Vermont mm -hmm. um, with our fingerless gloves on. Like, it was, it was very Oliver Twist. And uh, we practiced as a band, and it, this is the full, the first time I've ever had my full time band play on the entire record. That's pretty cool, and uh, yeah, one of, I'm excited uh, about it. I saw some video of, of of that house. It's a barn, I guess, right? Well, that was a different house, but oh. uh, we did the piano orchestra in the barn. Now, talk about the piano orchestra. It was like you uh, <laughs> the Craigslist all these, challenge. All these uh, <laughs> all these pianos that were about to put it, be put out to pasture. You you yeah. had to save them. It was like you were saving these puppies. Uh, well, it wasn't quite as noble as that. Yeah. It was kind of more like let's see how many free pianos we can get. Yeah. That would be hilarious. <laughs> we have a barn. Let's do it. No, wait. A minute. I'm not following this. So you put an ad on Craigslist? No, no. Just looking on Craigslist for free pianos. Okay. <laughs> what was the idea? Why Hello, did uh, is is. <laughs> Is Ted there? Yeah, I'm calling about your piano. Yeah, I would like to have it for free, Ted. And how were these employed eventually? Well, we had them tuned by two people. It took them a while. Um, two of them were unsavable, like I said. And then I got the new pornographers and Paul to come. And uh, we got Phil to come and set up a little mobile recording unit. And we recorded right there in the barn, which was really great because we got Baby Robins which were very talkative on the recording, <laughs> wow. and lots of frogs. In the wintertime, keep your feet warm, but keep your clothes on and don't forget me. Keep your memories, but keep your powder dry too. So you hit on this Harry Nielsen song, Don't Forget Me. Mm -hmm. That you said the only way to do it is with this piano orchestra. Yes, and Garth Hudson to make me look good. Right, and not band, not bad. Yes, great keyboards for the band, and the Robins and the Turtles. Frogs, Frog. frogs, frogs. Sorry. Now you're a songwriter, Nico, so I'm, I'm sure that the songs have to have a certain standard. So what drew you to uh, "Don't Forget Me" by Nielsen? And there was also a, another cover, a Spark song. Never Turn Your Back on Mother Earth. What drew you to those two songs for this record? Well, the Harry Nilsson song I wanted to do for a long time. Um, it's crushingly sad would be the words I would use. And he does that thing where it's, it's really sad and then it gets sadder. And then he <laughs> says something kind of funny and that's when you start to cry, which I always <laughs> think is really genius. The Roger Miller clause. Mm -hmm. He does that. And I don't know. There's just something about that guy wearing a cape while riding a bong. <laughs> and then and then breaking your heart and making you cry at the same time. Yeah. That's mm. a lot of power for one man and a, so a it should continue. And a cape. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Kelly Kelly wants to marry him yeah, posthumously. Yeah. Yeah, and then Sparks, I've always just really been a huge fan of Sparks, um as are the new pornographers. So both bands were kind of fixated. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh this this record 
partway through, you know, I just I noticed there was a, a great deal of weather on it and tornadoes and things like that. And I thought, well, now is the time. Sorry, Hogan. That's all right. I got I, I got tornado phobia. She got tornado phobia, so yeah. it's a little difficult. And the, right during the recording of the record, can we please not? Basically, sing about every tornadoes? show is going to feel like you're being born. Okay. Oh my God! So, well, well, the name of the record is Middle Cyclone. Yeah, and, yeah believe and me. There's five or six songs with tornado or yeah. cyclone references in them. It's true. This is sort of your woman versus nature record. I take it. Not so much verses as just give it up. Because it's nature. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. We are gonna powerless. Stu- it's going to stomp you with its mighty boot. Well, why don't we get a song out of you guys? You've been we could do that. Sitting here, we? Paul, with your guitar. <clears throat> Talk to me, Paul. All right. Yeah. That was Nico Case live in the studio with a song called People Got a Lot of Nerve from her new album, Middle Cyclone. Lots of new Nico music available at soundopinions.org if you want to check it out. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, Jim and I are going to continue our interview with Nico, and later we're going to take a look at what direction U2 has taken on their latest album, No Line on the Horizon. Waltzing with the hairs upon my arms your fight or flight along And you tremble And you stumble And you scrape up your paws I 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Our guest is Nico Case, and she's got a new album out called Middle Cyclone. I wanted to ask Nico about writing love songs for this record. In fact, she swore off writing love songs a few years ago. On the show three years ago, you were... We were talking about love songs and how you hate them, don't like to write them, and yeah. now you've written a record that uh, ostensibly <laughs> could be. Uh, Basically, that was the magic spell yeah. that I put on myself to make myself look stupid <laughs> the next time I come back. Do you ever worry, uh, Nico, about sharing too much of yourself in a song? Yeah, sometimes. A, because I'm pretty boring, and B, because you don't want the you don't want people to know how boring you are. <laughs> <laughs> what did she do? She went on PetFinder.com last night for eight hours. <laughs> wow. She what a voice of a our salad. generation. And she made a salad. Uh, that's right. But then she put wonton noodles on it. Whoa. That's my favorite part. That's the, 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 Tuesday. The most charming thing about Nico is she will never get away from those roots as a punk rocker. You're yeah. forever demystifying yourself. You know, I'm yeah. Just... Even when I put those little mandarin oranges on Ooh. it, I'm still going to be punk rock. You know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. So I don't even remember the question now. Oh, because you don't want the the listener to, you don't want to give the ending away for them because if somebody is connecting with a song and they can make it about themselves, I think that's kind of a nice feeling. Mm. I, I I remember reading and don't do this. I'm not saying to do this, but I remember reading an article about how the song "Strange Fruit" came about. Totally ruined it for me. So don't ever. Do any research about music or read about it. <laughs> Greg's actually it'll, talked at length about it. the, the Billy Holiday yeah. song. And you know, you you, st- you want the song to give you that nostalgic feeling because it's like this uh, unbiased voice of compassion in the dark music. So you want it to stay that way. You know, I think the you know, the whole idea of mystery is r- really intriguing. I think uh, you know, Fox Confessor brings the flood. You were you were speaking through these fairy tales and. With Middle Cyclone, obviously, there's a lot of nature imagery. Do you, do you find these themes developing naturally, or are you thinking, you know, I need, before I can really start this album or put it together, I need to have sort of a thread here that I'm following through in these songs? I never know what the thread is until about halfway through. Basically, it's just a scramble, and Paul can uh, attest to this, that it's a scramble to make things sound like songs <laughs> mm-hmm. at all. Because I write them in little pieces a lot. I'll just be singing some melody to Paul, and then I'll go, okay, this is the other part of the song. And it'll be some other time signature in another key, and he'll just be like, <laughs> <sighs> okay, we can bridge that. Um, 
I, I feel so bad trying to talk about that because I usually don't know what the common thread in the record is. And then, you know, you learn it halfway through and that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a heavy thing or anything. It was just I was really obsessed with nature and tornadoes. I think nature just makes me feel soothed somehow. So, But at the same time, you, know, you talk about the mystery being a powerful element in the songwriting. Uh, at the same time, I think there's a sense of you know mel- melody and, and and you want those big choruses. Uh, yeah. At least in certain songs, like people got a lot of nerve. That man eater chorus is mm, pretty killer chorus. That's true. indelible. Um, so you want that there. That that's something that's got to be eventually sort of pull the whole thing together for you. Right. Um, I think that earlier trying to write songs, I was just trying to get it to the point where there was actually music. And if there was music, I was like, <laughs> okay, that is a success. Phew. <laughs> okay. I can put my clothes on now and get off my bed and uh, go outside. You know, I've got those. Okay. Um, but after, you know, working with this band for a while now, and the new pornographers are a really big influence in that they will have no less than five people singing at a time. Mm. And it's really gratifying. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a super sugary, uh, cheap fix. And, yeah. and uh, I can't really help but want to do that. So Carl Newman, be damned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Carl Newman's an influence. Yes, very much. And, uh, you know, playing in that band is a huge influence because it feels good to sing like that. Mm-hmm. It's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. How about another song and uh, what would you like to play? We're going to do Middle Cyclone because we're talking the talk, so we better we better bring it. Title track. Yes. <laughs> Baby, why am I worried now? Did someone make a fool of me? Or I could show them how it's done. Can't give up acting tough. It's all that I made up. Can't scrape. Together quite enough to ride the bus to the outskirts of the fact that I need love. There were times that I tried one for every glass of water that I spilled. Next to the bed, retching pennies in a boiling well In a dream that it once becomes a foundry of mute and heavy bells They shake me deaf and dumb Say someone made a fool of me For I could show them
Just for a chance to be a spider web trapped in your lashes. For that, I will trade you my empire for ashes. But I choke it back. How much I need love. La la. Middle Cyclone, the title track from Nico Case's new album, incredible stuff. We have Nico, Kelly Hogan, and Paul Rigby here on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Nico, uh, first time I heard that song, you know, blew me away. That 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 couplet, that rush of words, can't scrape together quite enough to ride the bus to the outskirts of the fact that I need love. How did that come to? You? Did that come to you in a rush like that? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> I don't know. I think about, I guess when I think about myself and then I think about love at the same time, maybe I look like a grubby teenage boy waiting for the bus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of how it is, actually. Song is ruined. <laughs> and also, the, it, it also struck me that the, the placement of that song smack dab in the middle of the album was kind of making a statement. I didn't mean to no? with that, but... Not carefully sequenced to take Thank us on this roller noticing. coaster of emotional uh, yeah. highs and lows. Well, yeah, I that was the sequencing was incredibly hard. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but hard. do you still think about it in those terms? I mean, you know, in the era of the iPod, um, so nineties. Well, I think about it in terms of records that I hear where they stack the deck, where the first three songs are really awesome, and then the rest of it, you're like, yeah. Okay, Destiny's Child, we just got done with Bootylicious, and now you're giving me this other one. I want more. You know, you got to kind of, I mean, we're independent rock, I guess you might call us, so we don't have to play by those rules so we can make a topography map of our feelings with our sequence if mm. we want. That That's an interesting statement because, I mean, you know, as Jim was saying, a lot of people don't listen to records that way anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, does it does it upset you the fact that people are going to put this on their iPod and they're going to listen to it in shuffle mode? <laughs> and they're going no, to I mean, hear that song out of the context that you wanted it. No, I mean, if people are listening to music, that's great right there. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's fine with me. Me personally, I don't listen to things that way because I grew up with LPs. Mm-hmm. And I still have a record player that I listen to all the time because I like the sound of it the best. Mm-hmm. Does Auntie put know. your stuff out on vinyl? Does this come they're out on vinyl? They're going to, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we can have a shiny 12-inch platter version of Middle Cyclone. Word. Mm-hmm. How about another song from it? All right. Okay, we can do that. You want to do Don't Forget Me? The, the sad Harry Nelson? Yeah. Oh, remember? that's a good one. Salute. All right. Sad it up. Here we go. Summer by the poolside 
Don't forget me, Harry Nielsen cover, done beautifully by Nico Case and Kelly Hogan and Paul Rigby. Thanks, guys, for being on Sound Opinions. Thank you. Thank you for having us. To comment on our conversation with Nico Case or anything we talk about on the show, call our hotline, 888-859-1800, and we've got Nico music up on the web at soundopinions.org. Greg and I will be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of U2 and the pains of being pure at heart. Plus, it's my turn to drop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is the title track, No Line on the Horizon, from the 12th album by Dublin, Ireland-based rockers U2. Greg, I think it is no exaggeration to say that a new U2 album rolled out in 2009 is done so with more money behind it and more strategic <laughs> planning than we used in invading Iraq. Uh, it, is, it is absolutely beyond the pale. You know, U2 played uh, the first single, Sexy Boots, on the Grammys. They've been everywhere giving the same message. I tell you, as politicians go, they are much better at staying on point yes. than President Bush or even <laughs> President Obama. This is the line. Bono gave it to the London Times saying, if this is not the best album we've made, then we are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I also heard him uh, give an interview to Billy Bush on Access Hollywood. (laughs) The guy's everywhere. Hasn't been on Sound Opinions yet, but he's got an open invite. This is the longest time ever between U2 albums, Greg. The last one was in 2004, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. They began recording this new album with Rick Rubin, who of course is known pretty much for just turning up the mics and making things sound good, letting the band be the band. I think they would have wound up with another retro-minded album like the two they've given us in this new millennium where they were basically like a U2 band covering the standard U2 sound. Mm -hmm. Midway through, they abandoned that project and went back to the very art rock-minded team who they've been working with now for two decades on and off, Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno. They wound up producing this record. They are, for the first time in the history of U2, given co-songwriting credit. Let's play a track and get into this, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of opinions. This is a song called Moment of Surrender from the new U2 album, No Line on the Horizon, on Sound Opinions. Moment of Surrender on Sound Opinions from the new U2 album, No Line on the Horizon, a soul ballad. Classic Eno touch there, the uh, the hovering gospel organ feel. Uh, Very similar to what he did with David Byrne recently on yes, that album. Yeah, there, were, there are a lot of similarities there, there's no doubt. I think what Eno and Lenoir have done is restore the sense of mystery and atmosphere to this band sonically. 
those last two records, All That You Can't Leave Behind and How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, as you said, Jim, it seemed like U2 by numbers. They had stripped everything away. It was all about the songs. It was all about the riffs. It was all about iPod commercials and getting on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the U2. The U2 that I love is that a sort of homecoming slash unforgettable fire era where that atmosphere and that mystery was such a crucial part of their sound. But I think this record, I think the key line for me is let me in the sound. And it's repeated mm-hmm. a few times throughout. It's about sound rather than songs. And I think some U2 fans are going to be gravely disappointed after the last couple of records, which were more about the songs. Here the songs are more ambiguous, more amorphous. They take more time to develop. At the same time, I love that part of U2, that, that sense of getting lost inside the music and not really knowing where you are, that sense of uncertainty that I didn't hear at all in those, on those last couple of records. It was kind of like, here we are, we're this bombastic arena rock band, yeah, yeah. and we're going to rule the world with these riffs. <laughs> uh, I don't hear that sort of confidence here anymore. And in fact, I wish the entire album had been along the lines of its five or six best songs. They added another one of their longtime collaborators, Steve Lillywhite, into the mix as a sort of a safety net. Okay, Steve, give us a few of those big stadium rockers just in case. It's not a result, I don't think they quite pulled off what they want to do here. It's a transitional album back to U2 being mysterious, being atmospheric again, but they don't go all the way with it. And as a result, I'm going to give this record a burn it. Really? I have to say, Greg, that it's a buy it record on the Sound Opinions patented buy it, burn it, trash it scale. And I never thought I would say buy it for a U2 album again. I'd given up on this band. Mm -hmm. They had crossed that threshold, like the Rolling Stones, where they had become a mega corporation, in fact, signing their lives away to Live Nation, which we talked about earlier. And it was all about the bottom line. It was not about the music anymore. I was thinking Octung Baby was the last gasp, where they actually took chances bold, brave chances, reinvented themselves, went out on a limb, and largely succeeded. This album is not as good as Octung Baby. It is not U2's best album, as Bono said. If, if, if not, we're irrelevant. No, but the, surprisingly, shockingly, I must say, they are still relevant. There are four truly lousy songs on this record. Lousy, bad, mm-hmm. stand-up comedy, magnificent, the collaboration with Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas, If I Don't Go Crazy Tonight, and uh, Get Your Boots on the Single. However, the rest of the record is so extraordinarily good. I have to say, it, it's a buy-it record despite those four bad tunes. That is a teenager in love from a band called The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. Their debut album is self-titled. It is out now. 
a co-ed quartet based out of where else? Brooklyn, New York. It seems like uh, every other indie rock flavor of the moment <laughs> comes from Brooklyn. And this is the latest incarnation of that. Jim, we've seen a lot of these stories in, in recent years. Blogsphere, uh, internet hype swells around a band even before its first record comes out. Uh, you know, Arctic Monkeys, Tapes and Tapes, Vampire Weekend, mm-hmm. most famously last year. This month's version of that is this band called The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. A lot of notice for their singles and EPs. They finally got around to putting out a proper album this month. Let's take a listen to it before we review it. This is a track called Stay Alive from The Pains of Being Pure at Heart on Sound Opinions. song Stay Alive from the Brooklyn Rockers, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. Greg, I think there are three hurdles one must overcome in order to love this album. Number one is the blog buzz, and you're okay (laughs) to be skeptical about that. Number two is the way too emo-sounding name, an instant contender for one Mm. of the worst band names ever. And number three is a formula, a formula that runs throughout the entire album. However, It's a really good formula, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay? They're taking equal parts of jangly, twee, indie pop, just on the the right side of uh, of twee. I'm thinking of bands like uh, The Sundays or The Pastels or The Field Mice or Beat Happening or Wedding Present, that kind of pop, and they're putting it together with a heavy bottom, that rolling fuzz of one of our favorite movements of the last uh, 20, 30 years, the shoegazer movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they referenced Jesus and Mary Chain and My Bloody Valentine and Ride and Lush, those kind of swirling psychedelic guitars. I actually saw one of the blogs uh, begin to call this movement New Gazer. Used to be Shoegazer, <laughs> now it's New Gazer, okay? Yeah. As formulas go, that's a great formula, especially when you have these two vocalists, Kip Berman, who's the guitarist, and Peggy Wang, who's the keyboardist, bringing their vocals together, and under all that sweetness, having a rather troubling undercurrent. In Teenager in Love, we heard about the kid who's hooked on Christ and heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I, it wowed me. It knocked me over. I love this album. I'm going to tell you to buy this album. I have to say, Jim, I'm shocked, shocked, shocked <laughs> to hear you say that. I'm, I'm, I'm really stunned. now. 
you own all these records, I own all these records that these guys are referencing. Uh, this is very much in the mode of that mid-'80s indie pop movement out of England. You referenced a few of the bands. I'll be even more specific for you. They remind me of a direct cop of a band called The Shop Assistants, which I, I own all their records. Hmm. Uh, there's a few great songs on them. 20 years later, you can still play it, and you go, this is a nice jangly pop record. The one thing about bands like The Shop Assistants and The Pastels, those bands all had a sense of personality that I think is really lacking here. The vocals, to me, are so buried. There's no sense of a personality behind this band beyond a sound. No. Uh, to my mind, this is not a particularly fresh or unique take. In fact, you could go song by song and pick out the specific reference in that song to what it's referencing 15, 20 years ago. Now, that may sound like music snobbery. I understand that each generation needs its own version of, of a classic sound, and that's fine. But there are better examples of this kind of sound out there among new bands, and I would cite the Vivian Girls as example number one. This, to me, is just a nice, mediocre record. I enjoy this sound. I like listening to it. But, you know, a half an hour after I'm done with it, I don't really need to hear it again. And I don't think anybody will be talking about this band a year from now. So I have to give this a burn it at best. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox to play a track we cannot live without, and this week it is Jim's turn. You know, Greg, we were talking about Brian Eno working with U2, and he's been doing it for a very long time. Why? In 1992, a couple of months after Octung Baby, I asked him why U2 brought him in. And he said, uh, you know, quote, there are a lot of people, obviously, who encourage U2 to keep doing more of what U2 has already done. I'm part of the very small contingent that redress that by coming along, hearing things that I don't recognize and saying, wow, that sounds exciting. Let's try that for a while. I think people forget how magical a place the recording studio is. One of Eno's basic tenets, and he's as much of a philosopher as he is a producer, is that the recording studio is an instrument itself. You can have these happy accidents. You can stumble across odd sounds and create instruments that only exist by the manipulation of tape or or digital media. It's really the most wonderful place in the world, (laughs) whereas a lot of bands get to this position where they're a corporation, and every couple of years they have to come up with a marketing plan and do this, you know, product research. You're not making an album. You're not having fun in the studio. You know, it's drudgery. Eno's albums, particularly the four pop albums he made in the 70s, were pure joy. Percussion takes the melody role, and the melodic instruments like piano or or guitar suddenly become drones or otherworldly noises, and yet it all comes together with his vocals, very underrated as a singer, to, to make this beautiful pop music. I wanted to play a Brian Eno song that I think really illustrates the magic he found in the studio. It's called St. Elmo's Fire. It's on the third of those four pop records, Another Green World, one of my favorite albums of all time. This particular track is just Eno alone. He's playing absolutely everything except for the solo guitar. He invited his buddy Robert Fripp in. St. Elmo's Fire was an electromagnetic phenomenon in the age of sail. Sailors would notice these incredible sparks flying between the masts, and it was like catching the lightning. 
he didn't play the song for Fripp, you know. He just said, uh, I want the sound of St. Elmo's fire. Okay, go. And he hit record, <laughs> and Fripp churned out this incredible solo. I just think this is a, an extraordinarily beautiful pop song in which nothing sounds like anything you've ever heard on any other rock record. That's why people like Coldplay and uh, and David Byrne and U2 turned to Brian Eno, who was pretty great as his own solo artist. Here's St. Elmo's Fire by Brian Eno on Sound Opinions. Brown eyes and I were tired. We had walked and we had scrambled through the moors and through the briars, through the endless blue meanders in the blue August blue. Surging down the wires Through the towns and on the highways Through the storms in all their thundering The blue August blue In the cool August blue Then we rested in a desert Where the bones were white as teeth And we saw St. Elmo's fire Splitting irons in the Almost Fire by the one and only Brian Eno, my Desert Island jukebox pick on Sound Opinions. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Great stuff, Jim. Uh, we're going to have to match that level, and I think we can. We're going to do one of Sound Opinions' patented album dissections. This time we're going to look at Van Morrison's 1968 masterpiece, Astral Weeks. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, and uh, Nico Case was recorded by Mary Gaffney. Plus, our executive producer, our fearless leader, Southside, Tori Malatia, for whom we are a happy accident. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say.
New messages. Hey guys, this is Jim in Austin. I was listening to your show this morning on the Touch and Go label, which is not any longer uh, distributing other uh, music. I think this is the best possible time for the new labels to embrace new technology. Why not go with the uh, FLAC codec? That's a free, lossless audio codec and distribute uh, lossless files. Brian Eno and David Burns' last uh, CD was distributed in the FLAC codec. Now is the time. Thanks. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Paul from Chicago. Just wanted to leave a little comment about the last artist, Frightened Rabbit. Um, they were okay, but sounded kind of like Dashboard Confessional with a Scottish accent. And I think you guys could do better, so just try to uh, be a little more impressive uh, next time. Thank you. Good arms versus bad arms or when hands down, down. They are built to hold on fit, look how far they go round. Hi, this is Aelise from Arlington Heights, Illinois. And I really appreciated the segment on Fight and Rabbit because... I just love their work, and it made me very happy because I heard it when I was in bed, and I, like, got up and welcomed the day, and it was just very exciting. So thank you. Hi, my name is Jim Monroe. I'm calling from Bloomington, Illinois. I listen to the program on WGLT in Bloomington. I was just calling because I heard the feedback on the unconventional love songs, and I can't believe nobody called, so I have to do it. You guys missed a big one. He hit me, and I it felt like a kiss by the Crystals, which is so sick, so weird, and so tender. He hit me. And it felt like a kiss He hit me But it didn't hurt me He couldn't stand to hear me say That I'd been with someone new And when I told him I What a weird one. Great show. Bye-bye. He hit me And it felt like a kiss He hit me And I knew I loved him No more messages. And then he took me in his To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, one 888 859-1800.
We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Oh,